Coming up today on the Courier Daily. One of my mentors told me that really you should try and act as soon as you have 40% of the information because if you wait until you have 70% then it's probably too late. And later on, legal advice business owners might want to know. So here's my advice. If you're fundraising, don't hang around waiting to fill out that dream round. Instead, figure out what you can close and close now. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 16th of April, and this is the Daily Podcast from Courier. We're checking in with small business owners and experts all over the world to find out clever ways they're adapting and growing. And first up today, I'm with Serena Gen, founder of Suitcase Magazine, a great print and online title all about the culture of travel. And, you know, Serena, the past few weeks have been absolutely brutal for tons of media companies all over the world and a lot more brutal for travel companies. Given you run a magazine that's focused on travel, I wanted to find out how Suitcase is coping and any lessons you've learned in the past few weeks. So, you know, how's business been? Reckoning with the coronavirus as a business owner has been similar to the five stages of grief in a certain sense. Like in the beginning, I was kind of denial, like, oh, no, you know, this is probably going to be localized to Asia. Like it won't affect me that much. Like people will still be able to travel somewhere in the world. And then it suddenly hit and I was like, oh, my God, you know, travel industry, what's happening? No one knew what was going on. And I think that was the scariest thing. And then um, I think the worst part was the first few weeks, the first couple of weeks of March. I actually was ill at the time with coronavirus. Meanwhile, like the travel industry seemed to be collapsing around us, like all these businesses were being put on hold indefinitely. And the government also hadn't announced what their thoughts were, what their plans were. So it felt like we'd been sent into a tailspin. But I guess we were really lucky because I had just hired a new CEO who's called Jane McFadgen, who just started. Poor lady, she's had quite the experience. But I, the, one of the first things that she said to me when she first came on board was that we've got to think about this time as a gift because we're never going to get the opportunity again to sit back and really look at our product and see what's working, what's our, what is our message and what are we really trying to do. So I think the first few weeks, like very practically, we spent cost cutting. So anything that was like unnecessary, extra bits of software, certain kinds of marketing budgets, we pivoted to only ones that would generate revenue. Uh, so no more spend for traffic, for example, only to increase magazine sales. Then, thank God, the government also had some incredible schemes, like the furloughing schemes that meant that we could try and retain as much of our team as possible. And then after that, now we're really looking at two plans. So one is like an emergency battle plan is what we call it. And then the second one is the longer term plan. And I think as a media owner, certain certain aspects have been extremely difficult. Like some of our revenue streams kind of disappeared, like advertising is not considered essential for a lot of brands at the moment who are just struggling to survive. For any media company, particularly print media, but every media company, advertising is the lifeblood right now. And people are just not really advertising right now, right? Yeah. So I think we're really lucky that a couple of years ago, we decided that we saw what was happening in advertising and thought, okay, we cannot put all of our eggs in one basket. We need to diversify as much as possible. We didn't know what our golden ticket was exactly, but we were going to try out lots of different things. Advertising is one revenue stream. Like we have our creative agency as well, which... It's been funny because, you know, this should be the time where brands really need to be communicating with their consumers and with their users. But again, a lot of brands just think it's not an essential cost. So again, we've lost some clients, but then we've also gained some other ones who are using this again as an opportunity. But what we have seen 
effect very positively is our magazine sales. So we've seen like subscriptions go through the roof and then also our e-commerce. So we've always wanted to have a shop on our website because we've wanted to cater to travelers like along the funnel. And like, I love the idea of a, a state of constant travel. So, you know, it's not just about the journey at the end, but it's about the books that you read before you get there. Maybe you want to learn a bit of the language and then um, it's about the kind of souvenirs and little bits that you can bring back. So we've really had to change our mission from sending people out into the world to bringing the world to them. The Times wrote an article about us a couple of weeks ago and they called us the goop of travel. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool because love it or hate it, goop has created a very strong community and their e-commerce product is incredible. How have you pushed those subscriptions? Did you do more call to actions on social media or through an email newsletter or something like that? I suppose just talking about it more. I think we've always just kind of our print products almost been under the radar and a lot of our readers say, oh, we didn't even know that you had a print magazine. So now we're just kind of being loud and proud saying, hey, if you really like our brand, why don't you subscribe? I guess the last thing that we did was a few weeks ago, we we sent out a newsletter to our readers because we've got you know thousands of newsletter subscribers and hundreds of thousands of visitors to our website but only a small proportion of those actually subscribe to print and so we said to them hey actually if you want to support us because everyone's saying oh, we want to support you what can we do and we said if you do want to support us rather than giving like a donation or something why don't you subscribe and they were like oh what a good idea and it was amazing how many people said oh we don't know why we didn't do this before there was a piece in the new york times a couple days ago just kind of saying that the era of the fashion magazine is over. I mean, and it kind of speculated a bit more, a bit wider, saying, you know, just the era of these big, glossy magazines in general is over. I'm just wondering what your take on, are we going to see a permanent shift, do you think, from bright-eyed, glossy fashion spreads of, you know, last year to a much more, I don't know, I don't know what the future will hold. I think it's it's really interesting because a lot of brands are trying to cater to this new I guess the new current consumer, but also this post-COVID consumer. And the general assumption is that this post-COVID consumer is going to be very sustainable and aware of like purpose-driven, et cetera, et cetera, because of what they've been through and what they've had to prioritize. So I think that will be true to a certain extent. I would love that to be true. But I do think that after a year or two, uh, we're going to see people. a lot of people returning back to their old habits and, you know, shopping a lot with fast fashion, buying unnecessary things just because they can. And I think the pandemic will be in the, in the back of their minds. What I do think is interesting about media now, and consumers are expecting to be talked to in a different way by brands and they're expecting brands to be honest. I'm sure you remember a few weeks ago when we were, you were receiving hundreds of emails from every brand you've ever interacted with about what their COVID-19 plan was going to be. And okay, that's, that is a little bit annoying. But I suppose if you didn't communicate with your readers or your users or customers, then they might be wondering what you are doing. And I think they want to know that you're treating your employees well, that you're thinking about the consumer as well. So we've tried this fine line between providing our readers with an element of escapism while also being real about the current situation because it just we can't just completely ignore it. What else have you learned in the past couple of weeks just running the show, you know, running a media brand? that might be useful for other entrepreneurs in your position? One of the things that I've really learned in the past few weeks is that when we're going about the day-to-day normally, and it, when before coronavirus, we'd forgotten a little bit what our purpose was as a brand. And recently we just finished doing our brand book and we got all on a Zoom call and 
our head of our creative studio presented the brand book with our creative director to the team. And after that, everyone was just so excited to be part of the team and be part of the mission and to be building this together. And although times are really tough and, you know, people working, like my team is working so hard at the moment to just make ends meet and make things happen. They feel inspired and motivated to do something. So I I think that uh, my advice for any entrepreneurs is, to take a moment to relook at what your core values are, what you stand for and what you're trying to achieve and to have a session on that with your team, talk your team through it again. And I think it will, it will make everyone, get everyone on the same page again. And, you know, when you maybe you do have a smaller team, you've had to let some people go, or you've furloughed them, that smaller team will feel more motivated to work harder than ever to achieve what you need to do. One of the things I learned to do was to, to make decisions with less information so before I'd always try to wait until I had all, you know, the facts on the table. But in reality, life doesn't really work like that. And I think one of my mentors told me that really you should try and act as soon as you have 40% of the information, because if you wait until you have 70%, then it's probably too late. And I think that's the same with anything that we're learning about the current situation, that, you know, whether it improves or gets worse, that you need to make decisions fast about your business, whether that's sadly about letting people go or putting them on furlough or cutting more costs or reinvesting again. I think just learning to act more quickly. Well, in a time when up is down and down is up, it's helpful for founders to have some solid legal advice on how to proceed. Anthony Rose is the CEO of Seed Legals, which is a platform that lets founders and investors create, negotiate, and sign legal documents and agreements that they need to do for a funding round. And Anthony, I thought it'd be fun, or maybe not fun, but at least insightful and helpful to walk through a few things that founders need to know for their business right now. So what would number one be? In a business, you've got two problems right now. One of them is it's hard to find investment. And the other thing is, depending on your segment, your sales and revenue might be down substantially. So what to do? So my advice falls into two categories, one of them about raising money and the other one is about reducing costs. So let me start with the downer first, the reducing costs. If you don't have the revenue or even if you do have the revenue, it may turn out that some of your employees are doing things that are not relevant right now. So those involved on telephone sales or uh, online transactions are there, but those who are traveling salesmen going around the country are not doing anything. So what do you do about those? And the answer is furlough leave. So the government has come up with a plan that says uh, if you don't have the money or there are people that can't work or aren't uh, usefully doing work, you can furlough them. What does furlough mean? It means that it's as if they're on holiday, being paid for 80% of their salary up to £37,500 by the government. While they're furloughed, you have to furlough them for three weeks minimum. It can be longer. They cannot work for the company. If they do work for you while they're being furloughed, essentially you're committing fraud on the government, so don't do that. And now you can choose that either the government will pick up up to 80% of their wages, so they'll get less money than before, or you might choose to top them up so that you're super nice. It's still costing you, but the person's getting their take-home salary as before. And while they're being furloughed, they can do you know charity work, they can volunteer, they can do their own fun ideas, but they shouldn't work for you. So furlough is a very popular way of cutting costs. In order to do that, you need some legal paperwork. 
And the key thing you need is one, some proof for HMRC when you do a claim that you've actually have furloughed somebody. And secondly, if you furlough somebody, you're really varying an existing signed contract you have with them. So when you employed them, you did an employment agreement that said, I'm going to pay you and you're going to get holiday leave and you're going to do work for me. And now you want to do the opposite. And so for that, you need a furlough notice. So Anthony, I mean, the second thing that you're keen to talk about is raising investment. What, what advice would you give there? Okay, so for raising investment, you're going to read mixed messages. On the one hand, you'll read that investors are bailing, funding rounds are falling apart. Actually, what we see on Seed Legals is really interesting. So we've got data, which no one else has. And most of the rounds on Seed Legals are angel or seed rounds. So there might be a dozen angel investors. And what happens, what we're seeing, is that maybe about a third of investors are bailing. But that doesn't mean rounds are falling apart. That means people are raising 30% less and closing with the investment they can get. So here's my advice. If you're fundraising, don't hang around waiting to fill out that dream round. Instead, figure out what you can close and close now. Let's say you're looking to raise £500,000, but you've got £200,000 committed. You can close your £200,000 round but set the terms to say you can top up another 300000 in the next nine months. And now you can keep finding investors to add to the round, but you've got money in the bank to keep going. And of course, you could potentially have combined that with furlough leave to reduce your costs. If you're fundraising, close now, close as much as you can get, top up later. Do you think broadly and not necessarily UK specific that this is a bad time to be thinking about raising a seed fund if I'm starting right now, you know, mid pandemic? So clearly, when times are less good, there are less people in willing to invest. But I think the job of a founder is to take a challenge and turn it into an opportunity. And you might think almost counter cyclically, how might you improve your position compared to others? At Seed Legals, what might I be doing? I might be looking to opportunistically find things that people are looking to do. If they can't raise, what might they be doing? Maybe they're looking for R&D tax relief. Maybe they're looking for furlough notices. So even though we're giving a furlough notice away for free, we've quadrupled our traffic as a result. And hopefully those people might be people that would be looking for other things later. So your goal as a founder is rather than sitting around and procrastinating and rather than sitting around and not making decisions, because one of the key things as a founder is failure to make a decision is death. So you have to make decisions. So how might you be able to leverage it? Of course, mileage will vary. Clearly, if you're operating a cinema, no one's coming to your cinema anytime soon. You've got very few options available. But for most companies, I think there are probably quite a wide range of things you can do. And of course, one of the clear things is procrastinating on whether it's creating new products or waiting for times to be better. But everyone's going to be waiting for times to be better. When times are better, everyone's going to be out fundraising. So if you can leverage the opportunity now to show investors how you have reduced cost, how you have changed your business model to take advantage of people staying at home, for people not traveling, for people buying online, whatever it might be, you may well have a competitive advantage compared to people who are twiddling their thumbs and waiting for the world to be back brilliant again later. 
My special thanks to Serena Gen and Anthony Rose for today's show. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. And of course, as always, send me any business questions you want answered via email, and we might be able to feature it on an upcoming show. Just record your question in audio format and email it to me at daniel at couriermedia.co. And why not sign up to Courier Weekly too for more stories of pivoting, adapting, surviving, and growing. Our email newsletter can be found at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily is back again tomorrow.